0: We're in a series uh, entitled, Let My People Go, and we are studying Exodus, uh, from the beginning of Exodus to the bringing out of God's people from Egypt, so that's where we're heading over the weeks. I have a question for you this morning, I'll start with a question. Have you ever, ever felt like you're in the Lord's will, but that his will is nowhere to be found? Like your heart wants to do nothing but the will of God. But God won't give it to you. Or you feel like you've, been, you've come someplace to be with the Lord. You've, you've pursued his will. And you, when you arrive where you think the Lord wants you to be, it feels like a dry and weary land. You're actually pursuing the Lord faithfully, as faithfully as we are. What, what is that, right? But in your knowledge of self and what you can reach in and grab and give to the Lord, you've tried to do that. And where you find yourself, you, it feels like the Lord hasn't shown up. You believe you're where God wants you to be. But it doesn't feel right, and yet you don't see what's next. You don't see, what door do I step through? Where do I, where, where do I make my next decisions on? That's You don't have any of that. You believe that God's the great I am. So it's, there's not in you, it's not a doubt on is God strong enough. It's not that, it's just... It's not speaking. And you believe you're a child of God. And God has given us promises. If we are his children... He has sworn by himself to love you. I mean, that is awesome. But you're in a place where languishing silence. I think people feel this way. I'll give you a few examples. Marriage sometimes feels this way. You know, people, they were eloquent in the beginning about how this was God's woman them or man for them. She's the one. And they're Christian. You're Christian. You're f- trying to follow the Lord. I mean, you have your bruises and your dents, but you're trying to come along with the Lord. And But it doesn't feel like the victory, which is in Christ Jesus that we just sang about, can be uncovered in the marriage. Where is it? Or your children, you know, you you believe in the great I am, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You believe in the God who brought his people out of Egypt into a good and broad land, a land of milk and honey. You believe in that God, that he's your God, and you've tried to raise your children in a godly way. Not perfect, I know no one's perfect, but you tried to raise, and they are not godly. And you know it's the will of the Lord that they'd be godly. I mean, at some level, you feel like you're authorized to pray the prayer. Or maybe you can't have children. I mean, the Lord clearly loves children. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. And so how many times have you asked the Lord again and again, Lord, I'm not asking for four, I'm asking for one. One. Seems like a good prayer. We could go on and on. Career pursuing a call of the Lord, all sorts of things where we find ourselves sometimes in our life. And I I say we because I think just about every Christian experiences something like this sensation sometime. I do believe some Christians experience this sensation for lengths of time. And when you're in it, it doesn't matter whether it's sometime, it feels like a length of time. So it feels the same when we're there In other words, what do we do when we're inside the will of God and his will is nowhere to be found? I hope we we see uh, in the word today that Moses finds himself in a similar position. And um, maybe not a great answer for you, but at least a time to visit the Lord about it. Let's pray, Lord, as we're going to come to you and ask you to... uh, Speak out of your word, which is something that's your job, Lord. You speak from your word. You you speak, we ask. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, which is in perfect union with you, would enter into each one of our different hearts and settle the arguments we have with you. Lord, there's some people here I know who have a running argument with you right now. Where are you? Why haven't you? When will you? Why didn't you? Lord, more important than a message or a sermon is you meeting them there and, call and bringing to light that which even they seem to be hiding from themselves. We pray this to you, Lord, because it's in you we gain victory, it's in you we have freedom. You have brought us out of slavery through Jesus Christ, and so you've given us the right and the courage and the boldness to pray to you as sons and daughters, Lord. So it's on behalf of our adoptions, children, that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get going. Well, let me update you, in case you're a stranger to the story, or all you have to go on is Charlton Heston. Here's how it works. The Hebrew people migrated to Egypt uh, many years before this story, centuries before this story. They migrated there under very good terms. In fact, one of theirs, Joseph, was the salvation of Egypt at the time. And that was the foundation of their their arrival and their dwelling in Egypt. Well, over time, arose up a, a dynasty that didn't appreciate the Hebrew people, didn't know their story. And then uh, began to oppress them, became worried about their numbers and their influence, and began to oppress them as slaves as a way of dealing with that. That oppression became extreme to the point of murder and intense slavery and Moses was born out of that time. Moses was a Hebrew child who was born in the in some of the period of the more extreme persecution. And he had to flee that land because of a violent, uh, a violent act of his own. And so he has been away he, uh, from Egypt for 40 years now. And it was during that time that G- the Lord appeared to him through a burning bush, spoke out of the bush, saying, Moses, I'm the, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of God of Isaac and of Jacob. I've seen my people. I know their affliction and I'm coming And I'm going to come through you, Moses. You go back and tell Pharaoh everything I need you to tell him. And last week was the argument that Moses had. And we're picking up right at at the moment of obedience for Moses. So the Lord finally raised his voice with Moses. Moses realized this is not your average bush. Uh, And there's obedience. So we're in the moment of obedience. Verse 18. I'm going to read 18 through 23. 23. And it's just stop at a few points along the way. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. And they went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Okay, let's stop there. In the weeks to come, we're going to talk about the phrase God will harden his heart. So, for those of you who are sharpening your pencils, you can wait till a later week. What I want to draw out in this, in this moment is uh, the, it's in the 19th verse. Well, first of all, let's just say, from an issue of calling and of knowing the will of the Lord, Moses seems pretty well set up in this story. God met with him, God spoke to him, God did things to him of a visual nature with the staff turning into a snake and his hand becoming leprous and then being restored. Uh, There was a lot that went between the Lord and Moses that when Moses sets out in verse 18 and begins to obey the Lord, he has a lot... He clearly has the will of the Lord in front of him. As confident as some of us may have been in our lives as who we married or the job we pursued, more confident perhaps what we wanted to be when we grew up. I mean, he's on a mission. And we see that the Lord in some ways has cleared the way in front of him. Do you see verse 19? He say, the Lord says, listen, the people who were seeking your life back in Egypt have passed. You don't need to worry about that anymore. Now, I think there is a, uh, there's a, a, a relevance to the story itself, which I don't think we should ignore, but I also think there's a spiritual relevance. But to the story itself, uh, you know, and in some ways, I think the Lord waited this period of time because the story is really not about Moses, and, and it would have been confusing, I think, to us, Understanding the story of redemption, if Moses goes back and then there's this subplot of him ducking in alleyways from the police. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know how it would tell. Either way, it seems that the Lord has allowed that to expire so that now Moses can go back and address Pharaoh in clear air, which is, which is what I think is important to the redemption story. But spiritually, um, I, I, this is reflective of the Lord's way. This is what he does for us when we come to him. I mean, if you were, if you want to think of Moses meeting the Lord at the burning bush as Moses answering God's call in his life, the Lord forgives our past. I mean, there's just there's very simple spiritual truth here that. Um, that, that the story is really telling, but there's just, just, it's, it reflects the spiritual pattern, which is when the Lord calls us and when we answer the Lord's call and we become his followers, he takes the past that has been on our shoulders or been defining us improperly or been weighing us down, and he separates those things. Right? That's the words of Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I shall give you rest. Right? I'll take your burdens on me. As far as the east is from the west, so are our sins from the Lord. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ does for all Christians. It doesn't mean you didn't do these things. It means they do not matter to the Lord. They are of zero sum to God. And that's essentially what he's saying here to Moses. Moses, you can go back to Egypt now. I have interdicted or, or that will not bother you anymore. Now, I'm not saying to you that if you committed a violent crime and then you come to Jesus, that the world doesn't still have a vote. I'm not saying that. I'm saying spiritually, the Lord separates us from our sins. And I think that's important. It's important in our confidence. There's so many, I think many of us, we, we can appreciate the reluctance of serving the Lord based upon the things we've done, right? I mean, sometimes real reluctance and why would he use you, me, us? Why would he use us? Doesn't he know that? And the Lord says, listen, it's dead, it's past, and I've called. That's encouraging to me. It, it's, a, it's a spiritual truth that runs right alongside of the story. And I, I want to point out that and it becomes relevant here in a few verses. Look at 24 through 26. Let's, let's read, because a, here's a brief contrast. A very confusing, startling, shocking moment. The Hebrew here, by the way, is really hard to translate. So if you have an ESV Bible, the ESV is being pretty faithful to the, the, the ambiguity. Some other Bibles kind of try to answer the questions, and they're about right. I don't disagree with them. But the Hebrew is going to say it in a way that you're going to have a lot of who's the him there and who's the he. Uh, that there's some challenge here. So let me read it. It's three verses. Uh, and then we'll break up into groups and you can decide what it means for yourself. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. That him, I think, being Moses. Then Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. All right. And before I answer the issue, or or kind of try to make sense of the issue, I want to put this a moment into perspective because... I think we all saw that God nearly just killed Moses. God approached Moses with the intent of taking his life. He was on the way to taking his life before Zipporah interceded on his behalf. I think that's pretty clear in the text. Which is pretty strange when you think of the way that God has raised up Moses. The careful selectivity that the Lord has done to pull Moses out. Moses wasn't just any old person. I mean, Moses is a Hebrew who's living hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Egypt, carving out his own life, and the Lord goes way over there to find him. The care of the calling. The time he took in the conversation to answer Moses' questions. I mean, I certainly think that the average reader, by the time they get here, thinks, well, the Lord certainly wants to call Moses. God didn't call Aaron. Aaron was available. The Lord didn't use Aaron like he's using Moses. Something about Moses that God wants to do. And Moses, when he recounts the story, right, as he's writing Exodus, he reaches all the way back to his birth to say, you know what, the hand of God has been at work since I was born because I was laid in a basket and set upon the Nile River, and I was pulled out by the daughter of Pharaoh and raised as a prince among the Egyptians. That's crazy. And the the, example is obviously placed in front of us in the story to suggest to us that God has always had Moses in mind from the very beginning. And in one moment, God's going to kill him. And most of us still don't know why. God goes through all that work to select Moses call him, prepare him, bring Aaron to him. He's doing all of that. They set off obediently to go to Egypt, and somewhere in here, something triggers with the Lord and says, I I will not use this man the way he is. And that's the perspective here. So let's look. What, What is wrong? What we see, there's a few things we can see. It has something to do with circumcision. Let's start there. And we find that one of the sons of Moses, Moses has two sons, we think, by this point. One of his sons is not circumcised. See verse 25, Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. So his wife circumcises the son right there, right then there. Which means he wasn't circumcised. It's interesting, in the Hebrew there, it calls it her son Zipporah took a flint and, and cut the foreskin of her son off. It's almost as though make, that makes you wonder why wasn't he circumcised, right? I mean, I can almost hear the household squabble. I don't want my son circumcised. You know, was this a concession Moses made with his Midianite wife? Either way, we don't know that. We'll never know that. I will one day know that. Because I'm asking. (laughs) But but it's not of essence here. What is of essence here is there's a son who has not been circumcised. Let me say it a little more appropriately, okay? It is not that there's no son who, with a passive voice, has not been circumcised. Moses has a son whom he has not circumcised. That's the issue. Moses, a Hebrew, a child of the covenant, selected to be the earthly redeemer of the covenanted Hebrew people has a son who's not circumcised. I'm gonna just read to you. I'm gonna read Genesis 17 just to give you a feel because I know for us, circumcision seems kind of like an ancient notion. Uh, Just listen. Okay. This is the Lord talking to Abram now Abraham, okay? So Genesis 17 is no small chapter in the life of the church. Abraham becomes Abraham at the moment of the covenant being expressed through the rite of circumcision. So God brings circumcision to, the, to Abraham and says this, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. Do you hear that? This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Do you hear that? Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout the generations. Did you hear that? Every male throughout the generations. Whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, regardless of what you may think about circumcision, this is what God thinks about circumcision. If my people are inside my promise, their sons are circumcised, period, dot, for eternity. It's an everlasting covenant. It's an expression of faithfulness. It's their expression to me of God we're waiting and it's my expression to them that I have not forgotten. And Moses, the earthly redeemer of my people, is essentially saying to the Lord, I'm not sure your covenant is alive in my house. That will not stand with the Lord. Now, Those are, I think that's what's at work there, but if we step just a little bit away, this is something, especially when you said it kind of near the 19th verse, where the Lord, in one hand, the Lord so carefully says, forget your past, what you've done, not an issue, Moses. It's forgiven. Go back, it will be of no problem. So in one hand, with Christ, we have this great hope, right, that the things that we've done in our life are forgiven. And on the other hand, you have this moment where our present circumstances in our life run the risk of disqualifying us from the prize. And this is what I find. I think this is true, is we people typically focus on the things that we've done in our life as a barrier to the Lord, which is not true. But God, the divine typically focuses on the things that we are in this life, which is a barrier to him. Do you hear that? We are always thinking, oh, God would never talk to me, because remember that one time I did that? I've, you know, I lost my virginity here, or I surfed that there, or I, I was dishonest here, or I was rebellious then, or whatever it is. Whatever the whole spectrum of iniquity is, it was finished on the cross. Christ is resurrected. What's at essence with the Lord is, who are you now? God calls himself the I am. He's ever-present. I love this. I love the fact that he's not the I was. He's the I am. My past, my past is my past. The I am is worried about who I am now. He's ever-present. And there's this sense of Moses going, don't worry, Moses, about what you did. I'm worried about who you are because who you are affects the story I'm telling now. And we as Christians, we, we would rather not be faithful to the Lord for the stuff we did, which is spiritually irrelevant, rather than humble ourselves and say, what part of my life is not given over to the promise of God? Am I raising a household that is not dependent on his hope? That's 24 through 26, I think. Let's read 27. It gets better. Let's read 27. You can hit, we'll give you a break. Ah. All right, so in the Hebrew, there is, um, it's difficult to translate uh, tense. He said, he said in Hebrew, it's called the perfect tense in English. He said, the Hebrew has no, uh, this is my middle school Latin. It has no pluperfect tense. He had said. You can't ever find that. You have to kind of suppose that's what they're getting at, okay? Because right now, in verse 27, it says, the Lord said to Aaron, like, where's this coming from? It's kind of like, meanwhile, back at the camp, okay? That's kind of like what's happening, all right? Like the Lord had said, like, by the way, in a parallel universe, the God spoke to Aaron and said, and during all this time, he's been on his way. That's what you're gonna hear. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him, at the mountain of God, and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. as great. It's just a great moment story. For one, to be a people of oppression and to hear God's coming, right? Ah, oh, that's great. Which The church, that's our mission, church, is to proclaim that to his people. God's coming. But in addition, I just have a warm heart for Moses and Aaron because it all worked. You know, Moses steps out on faith with this stick, yeah, and the whole way, the whole way there, it's a walking stick. Yeah, yeah, I wonder, you know, at night on his way at a minute, if he just kept throwing it on the ground to make sure it was still snake-worthy. <laughs> you know, because you don't want to do it too much because it might run out of power. But, yeah, you know, like, w- how did he, just this m- emotion of when I get there, will it all work out? You know, when I pull my hand out, ha-ha, will it be white? You know, and a leprous hand. You know, all of that is going on. And it works. That's what I'm, I'm happy for is that there's this, mm, the Lord just shows up and the people worship and the elders believe. Remember God said that. They will believe you, Moses. Remember he said that? It happens just like the Lord said. The Lord said, listen, I'll give you Aaron. You'll put your words into his mouth. Out of his mouth will come your words. You'll be as God to him. Moses, you'll be like God to your Aaron. Your Aaron will be your Moses. Moses. He'll go and he'll speak on your behalf and do it, but, but I'm looking to you, Moses, trust me, it'll all work out and it all works out and there's this, this great moment. And I wanna just, I, I wanna say, this is just from sense of experience or, or recollection. When we step out in faith, especially some of the first times, especially if you're like a young Christian, God sometimes is so gracious when we step out Sometimes he just gives the first time out when you really are clueless. He just blesses you with so much success just to remind you of, I said, I told you to do it, and I'm with you. And I'm saying that because the story's about to get so hard. And sometimes the first act, the Lord's just really kind. I think of that with like, for our church with Loma Coffee, you know, we approaching this, we haven't, we haven't, done much outside the walls to bring the gospel and to do something. And that thing went so well. We should not expect that to happen every time. I mean, praise the Lord that he recognizes when we are of little faith and says, "You just I'll show you more of myself so you come along, and then I'll ask something real of you. So everything goes great with the people, and then he turns to go talk to Pharaoh. Now, remember, did the Lord give him any expectation that Pharaoh would respond positively? No. In fact, several times the Lord has not even alluded to the fact. The Lord said, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Pharaoh's heart is hard, or I'll harden Pharaoh's heart, or whatever. In fact, he says, Moses, in fact, it's part of the plan. So when you see it, it should be a confirming sign. That's how the Lord's tenor was with Moses in the conversation. Well, let's see what happens. Let's read nine verses out of the fifth chapter. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, now listen to the boldness. You you can imagine the boldness here because of what happened. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold fast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, equally boldly, I might add, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword." But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So Moses goes in boldly with Aaron, declares, let my people go, and Pharaoh responds. Now, there is this, there is this, uh, this three-day journey bit that's surfaced several times now in the Bible. It almost sounds, when someone reads it, they may have this question, why, why does Moses ask, why does God tell Moses to ask for a three-day journey into the wilderness when we really know the intent is we want to leave forever? Is is God kind of, is there not a full level of truthfulness that might be a a most pessimistic way of asking it? I think this is what's at work. I think the Lord wants to expose the heart and personality of, of Pharaoh for all to see. That's what I would think he wants to do. I think he wants you and me and the Israelites and Moses to know what really is the problem with Pharaoh. And the real problem with Pharaoh is he will not abide the Israelites worshiping anyone other than him. Remember Pharaoh is a god. So the note in other words this is a small religious request so that the Lord can show you that listen the heart of Pharaoh is so hard that he would not even abide these people the opportunity to worship their God because when these people worship their God, they are not worshiping him. And you need to remember, Pharaoh is the devil. In this story, it's, it, it's Pharaoh is playing out the role. He's a type of Satan. The Bible recognizes that his role in the story or his effect in the story is the effect of Satan. And so here's the image. The image is Satan will not abide the worship of the people of his realm of anything but himself. Think of it this way. We are born. We are born into this world. The prince of this world is Satan. And you are born as a slave to him and will do nothing but make bricks for him your whole life. That's what your life apart from Christ is. If you're not in Christ, I'm telling you, I mean, you, you can write on a communication card all the wonderful things you, you've done and, and I will, you can send it to me and I'll, gen, I'll write you a gentlemanly-like letter back that will essentially amount to, it is meaningless, absolutely meaningless and amounts to nothing in this world. What is it that we do? The writer of Ecclesiastes, vanity. Vanity, it's all Vanity. He's saying we are brickmakers for Pharaoh. The, the, there's nothing eternal about the things We're the baubles of this life, our, our preoccupations, these things, our life is spent, you know, it's just another day on the job. It's, it's You're fulfilling the quota of bricks. That, that's the notion and the Lord wants to show you and Satan will not abide you worshiping anyone else at all. Think of it this way. If Moses and Aaron had gone into Pharaoh with the big ask, can we leave forever and ever and ever, and can we have all your stuff? Let me leave, please. Your sentiment as a reader of the Bible would be, well, who can blame the Pharaoh? Even a really nice Pharaoh would have to say no to that, right? I mean, even a godly Pharaoh. We would have no se- sense on this. Pharaoh even, maybe he likes the Lord. How could we tell? He's been put in such a hard spot. I wouldn't let my own people go. This, this, so, the Lord uses his three days to expose his heart so that you know, you know, that the prince of this world does not love you. The prince of this world will not abide your worship with the Lord, will resist you should you try it, and will fight you to the death. That's who he is. But he also does something that's interesting. He. You see in verse uh, 4, he blames he's quick. Man, the serpent is fast. You see what he does? Moses and Aaron, why did you take your people away from their work? He, so he blames it on them. He's cooking something up. Why did you do this? Oh, Moses and Aaron, when the people find out what you've done, they're not going to be happy. And that very day, look at verse 5, that very day, verse 6, that same day Pharaoh commands the taskmasters, he knows what to do. He's been around for a long time, and he knows people. Watch what happens, verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, look at the language, by the way, thus says Pharaoh. You shouldn't miss that. I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. This is what the enemy does to you. When you begin to hint towards Christ, he makes the life worse. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Verse 15. Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the, the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Watch Moses. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses does the will of the Lord. He goes to Pharaoh, who we're told will not abide with this. Pharaoh won't listen to you. We're told that. Moses goes. Pharaoh does exa- well, Pharaoh behaves in a way that's akin to what the Lord said. And then the whole thing blows up in Moses' face. And Moses' response is, where are you now, Lord? Like, Lord, I followed your voice all the way out to the wilderness, and I get here, and you've left me. That's the spirit of Moses. You brought me here, Lord. You wanted me to do this thing. I come to do this thing, and here I find myself abandoned, alone, turned upon by my own people. I mean, that, that is the way of the enemy, by the way. Right? In resisting us, he turns us on ourselves. It reminds me that the enemy is at work inside the walls of our fellowship as he is outside the walls of the fellowship. I mean, there's a trend item. I mean, you could preach that another day, that the trend of the people of Israel grumbling against their leaders, spiritual leaders, thinking that they're not on God's side, the suspicion, all of this, it's, it's endemic in the heart of the people. But here's, just with Moses, just to look at If you get to the sixth chapter, and this is next Sunday a little bit, the Lord immediately replies and says something like this to Moses. Moses, nothing's wrong. I have Pharaoh right where I want him. I guess my question would be, just to return to the question we started in this morning, is when we venture out with the Lord and we step out and we believe we're doing his will, and then we are encountered with difficulty. Why is it that we so, we so quickly assume the Lord has abandoned us? Is there any sign in the scriptures that the Lord has abandoned Moses? Is there any sign in your Christian life that the Lord told you? Did the Lord anywhere, anywhere in his word or in his counsel of the spirit tell you that Pharaoh would listen to what you had to say? Or that it would be easy? I mean, is it... We seem to remember James, right? Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of all kinds. The fact that persecution grows us. The notion of the righteous will live by this steadfast faith. That's the heart of that word, steadfast, enduring faith. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved by the hope held out in the gospel, that's Colossians. There's notion of continuing to bear down in the faith. That's what the word is saying. In fact, the Lord is always saying to us, the world will not listen. Do not expect everybody just to come alongside. But nonetheless, the word I give you is true and go. I think for us, our sense, it's, it's our sense of Timing. When we pray or when we believe we're in the will of the Lord and we pray a godly prayer and we want God to answer, we want him to answer now. And then when we, we, we kind of stumble over that now, we say, oh yeah, I forgot, we need to wait. And so then you, you assign the appropriate time of waiting. What would a faithful man wait? A week. So you go to them on Saturday and you're like, now. You know, There's been several times, several Seasons in the church where, especially 2008, there were several husbands and fathers in this church who were without a job. Without it, without an exception, with the ones I visited with at length, um, they lose the job, and it's, "Oh, right? There's that kind of what happened?" Then there's this, this peak of the Lord's good, and they remember all that the Lord did, and they're like, the Lord wants to show me something about myself. And this is this is among men and women and all sorts of things, right? Crisis happens. You're like, ah. Then you remind yourself you're a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, so the Lord's going to do wonderful things through this. And so you start having bookmarks, and you open up cabinets, and you have verses written because you are convinced that the Lord is going to show you, show you something about yourself, except that you're convinced it's going to happen during the time span of your unemployment payments. The Lord is going to wait until those payments have stopped because he can't teach you something about yourself until they have stopped. I'm saying the Lord is going to go past your personal limit to be faithful to yourself before he answers. His timing, it's not that our timing is not his timing. His timing is never our timing. The Lord will continually, I don't want to say, I don't know if it's his nature. It seems to be his way that the Lord waits until we are, and then we're broken. And then he gets all the glory. whatever whatever the situation is, right? To to you, you who are not brokenhearted, uh, I pray patience on you for the brokenhearted. For you who are brokenhearted, who somewhere in your spirit you have indicted the Lord as not caring, not present, or unable. Could it possibly be that the God who made the heavens and the universe, who parted the sea, who fed his children with manna, who sent his very son, who died for you, is just not ready? Is it possible you just need to go a little longer? Is it possible that he's slowly breaking you down because there's something about you that needs to be brought out and put to death or killed or circumcised or whatever? That's my question. Do we believe in a Lord who abandons us or not? Remember the Lord said to him, he said, oh, Lord, I can't go what, you me. This is the third chapter. He said, go, I will be with you. In fact, his original words were, come now, I'm sending you, come, I'm sending you. Do you believe in the Lord who says that, come, I'm sending you? Because he hasn't left you. And the fact that it's hard, eventually the Lord is saying, I almost have everything right where I want it." to show myself for who I am. I pray that for you. I pray that on you in your life, I pray that you might know the Lord so much better one day than you do today. And that is worth the wait. Amen, let's pray. Lord, Just we know you are kind. Lord, you say it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And Lord, we know that your spirit can go places that other people can't. And so, Lord, I pierce the darkness, I pray, Lord, in and, and the lives of people and families. Give them a holy endurance. Lord, I am reminded of when Jeremiah complains to you about why do the wicked, wicked flourish? Why do they prosper? Why, Lord, why does your word fail? And your answer to Jeremiah was, you're tired running with people, and I'm going to make you run with horses. Lord, remind us, not that the the end point or the finish line is just around the corner, but that it is too far away for us to reach without you. Make us those people, Lord, where our endurance is only in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.